0: I'm going to say a little bit about these guys in a minute, but let me read our scripture passage for us today. That I obviously didn't look up, and I can't find Genesis 2. It should be an easy one to find, but when you're looking in front of a bunch of people, it's hard. We'll be in Genesis 2, 1 through 3 this morning. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day, from all the work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation." Amen. You may be seated. Man, it's hard to follow youth camp. <laughs> the, uh, the students that were at youth camp, it doesn't matter who's preaching, it's not going to be as good as the preacher at youth camp, so sorry students. Bear with me, uh, hang with me today. Uh, My name's Matt Holmeyer. Uh, For those who have no idea who I am and wonder why in the world I'm up here, I grew up here once upon a time, and uh, my parents are Bobby and Joyce Holmeyer, and um, it's just really good to be back. I appreciate Pastor Matt, who's become a good friend of mine, um, inviting me back to speak while he's on sabbatical. Um, If you know the Holmeyer's, which some of you do, some of you may not know so well, uh, you're contractually obligated if you're a Holmeyer and get up to pray or preach or anything to cry a little bit. And so my dad set that tone, my grandpa set that tone. I'll try not to, but I probably will at some point. But here's what struck me. Students, as you did such a great job uh, leading this morning, man, be encouraged. Uh, Know that the hand of God is on you. Um... My grandmother, Ruth, who may or may not be watching on Facebook today. If she is, Mama, we're glad you figured out Facebook on your tablet and can watch today. Um, Wonderful thing that technology allows that to happen. I remember her, she's 88 and grew up in this church. I remember her talking about uh, going, this is where the tears come probably, going to Altafrio as a teenager to camp and having any experience where she met God and came back changed. Yesterday, we visited with Mama and Papa at the nursing home, and they talked about, kind of funnily, uh, meeting one another and began dating and began their relationship in the youth group, what used to be called training union back in their day. And Pawpaw said all of a sudden it became a lot easier to be a Christian when uh, Ruth Holmeyer was in the room, and that drew him back a little bit. Um, I certainly remember going to camp uh, 20-something years ago to country camp where we went um, and coming back just on fire with a new word from God. It's where my call to ministry started. I think a lot of us, several of us are here that grew up together, several more in churches around the country today um, that grew up and had formative experiences in those times, so students... What you're experiencing is new and unique to you, a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And it is also in the DNA of this church going back 80 years to support you. And there's others that could tell their own stories. And so church, be encouraged that the Spirit of God marches on. There were a few of you in here today, I know, gritting your teeth through those songs because they're not your songs, but you showed up and you let them sing Um, And you're going to compliment them after them, right? You're going to compliment them afterward. And if any of you want to send a complaint to Pastor Matt, you send it to me instead. And you and I can have some words about uh, theology and scripture and what it says about a joyful noise. Uh, Every generation has their song. Um, And we need to sing the old generation song. We need to sing the youngest generation song and everything in between. And so, my goodness, students, you blessed us today, and I'm thankful, thankful. I can't see all of you out there. I can see, I'm focusing on you guys. Sorry, y'all are really sh- right there in the front. Thank you for sharing with us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for drawing us here today. We thank you for the breath in our lungs and the breakfast in our bellies and the stirring in our soul. We thank you for a church that loves its kids and its teenagers and gives them a long lead to try, to go to camp, to help pay for it and help support it and bring in wonderful staff like Rose and Josh and Matt that are called by God to lead others to know him better. That lets teenagers get up here and sing words of God and pleasantly be found to do it really well to do it joyfully. We pray for this generation and more generations to come that your spirit, Holy Spirit, continues to pour itself out in this place. And that many of these students from one day, 88 year olds, with great grandchildren here talking about how the Spirit of God continues to move. Bless us now as we receive your word, in your name we pray, amen, amen. Well, I do, I am thankful to have grown up here. Tears are probably over, I think, at this point. I can preach and get it under control a little bit more. Sorry about that. The, uh, yeah, so, some things are always the same. Um, a lot of people that are sitting on this side, when they were in their 30s, sat on this side. And at that point, all the old people sat on this side. And it's funny, Bob, Donna, Joyce, Bobby... So everybody on this side, just hang in there. Give it a few year, couple decades, Rose. You're going to be over there. <laughs> Some things are the same, and that's pretty wonderful in and of itself. Um, it also calls to mind, church, we're, we're part of this long legacy and cloud of witnesses, right? We remember those that sat on this side and are no longer with us, but are in our hearts. And that's the beauty of the kingdom of God, that they're never gone. They're always still part of us, even when they're not here. All right, you paid me to preach, not tell stories. Have you ever wondered if you're not doing enough for God? So I'm going to ask you to tap into your feelings a little bit this morning. If you're a thinking person, you're already thinking about it. I need you to stop thinking and feel for a minute. If you're a feeling person, you already feel that answer to your question. You need to stop feeling and try to think about it for a little bit. Do you ever feel like You're not doing enough for God, that God is wanting more of you. Do you you ever feel guilty about that? Maybe some shame, condemnation about that. You know, much of the rest of the world conditions us to think that whatever we're doing, whatever's good, whatever we have done, that's fine, but we need a little more from you. There's probably some teachers here today. Some of you, anyway, are or were teachers. I mean, what happens, star test every year? Students, what happens, star test every year? You may get a 90, you may get an 85, you may pass by the skin of your teeth and you get to celebrate for about a day and what happens? Well, that's great. We need you to improve that by five percent next year. So much of the world's condition is say no matter what we do, we need a little more from you and so it's hard to celebrate that. Some of you are in sales, some of you work in different jobs where you perform and and you do well, you do your job, and and what is your reward? Well, you you might get a bonus, you might get a little raise, but you, you definitely do good work is rewarded with what? More work. (laughs) That's just the way our world works. If you do a good job, if you're trying to do things right, the world will just give you more opportunities to do that. I work at Baylor and a big Baylor fan. We have a few Baylor fans here today. Baylor won the national championship in basketball. It was a really big unexpected thing. Baylor's not really, no, we don't know how to win. We've never done that before. It was very, very exciting. And the third question the coach was asked after the national championship was, "Coach, what is your plan for winning the national championship next year?" He got two questions to soak it in and enjoy it before someone was already asking, "That's great, but what are you going to do more? What are you going to do more?" We are going, my family, to Rockport, right after this, down on the coast. We're very excited. We go every year. Um, we're going to spoil our kids rotten. My son has his birthday down there. In fact, if I can tell a little aside. My whole family is a little mad that I agreed to preach today because they could be on the road to Rockport by now <laughs> instead of coming to church. And so I'm just going to call them out on that. Pray for their spirits in this sermon. <laughs> But boy, we're going to spoil each other rotten, we're going to eat good food, we're going to go fishing, we're going to have a good time, we're going to get back to Waco where we live on Friday, and we're going to ask the kids, what do you want to do? And they're going to say, we want to eat out, whatever we give them, right? They're going to want more, they're going to want Taco Casa, Taco Bell, no matter how much we're spoiled, we want more. That's just how we're conditioned. And it's inevitable that this seeps into our faith a little bit, that if the whole world works this way, doesn't God always want more from us? Can't we drive ourselves crazy at times, have guilt heaped upon us, not enjoying the good things of life, the blessings that we have, not not feeling content and joyful about the ministry we do offer the world, wondering if God wants more. Being a pastor for a while has taught me anything. It says most of us live with a little bit of guilt, (laughs) a little bit of shame, a little bit of wondering if we really are not quite good enough not quite doing enough in god's eyes and that's something i want to talk about today because it seeps into our faith jesus says this in the new testament or paul says this in the new testament that for those who follow christ there's no shame no guilt no condemnation so something just to kind of start us out if in your feelings and your thoughts there are thoughts of before god that you have a little bit of shame condemnation or guilt Unless it is over sin in your life that you've not repented of, that feeling is not from God. That is from somewhere else. The feelings of God are feelings of joy, are feelings of holy compunction, of God calling us to something. It is something of grace, of love, of peace. It is fruits of the Spirit. I want to visit today a little bit about what God does want from us. What God does call from us. Um, And good news is Scripture gives us an answer for that. In fact, it's more than Scripture. God gives us an answer that's embedded into the fabric of creation. It's like coded into the DNA of our bodies. It's synced into the turning of the seasons. There's an answer from Genesis 1 and 2 through the end of Revelation, and it's out around us everywhere we look, everywhere we feel, if we have eyes to see, that we can talk about this morning. What is, now I already read the scripture, It's just going to give it away. But let's just pretend you haven't heard the scripture and don't know the answer to it and don't look it up. Have you ever thought about what is the first thing God calls holy in all of scripture? So God is holy, God calls some things holy. What's the first thing God calls holy in all of scripture? And if you were to find the first thing, wouldn't that cause you to perk up? Wouldn't that probably have a point to it? The first thing in all of Scripture that is called holy. Well, we get to Genesis 1, and you know the story of Genesis 1. God, you know, it's day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. If you've never noticed, they're, they're paired. Day 1 and 4 are paired. We have... We have uh, light created in day one. And then the sun and the moon and the stars, the cosmos, in day four. We have sea and sky created in day two. And then day five fills up the sea and sky with birds and fish and all of those good things. We have day three. I'm trying to keep my numbers straight here. We have day three where we have the land created. And then all the, the living things, animals and humans, on day six. And after humans are created, after day three, god says what about all of creation so everything that's created it's good it's the biggest word god uses scripture uses to talk about everything that's created and then we get to day six and what does god say about the creation of everything now it's all complete humans are the 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 height of it made in the image of god and we are called good and very good so think about this let it sink in the whole cosmos the whole universe, this miraculous place that we exist, that is infinitely expanding, that is infinitely large beyond our our conception of the size of this, all of the stars, all of space, all of the, the intricacies of earth where we live, all of it, you and I, all the good that humanity brings, the best thing said of us is it's good. And that's really important. It means that every creature Every creaturely thing is good, and that's a good biblical word. Work is good. Eating is good. Creation, what some would call nature. We have a better word from that. Creation, it's, it's imbued with the Spirit of God. It is good and for our benefit and for our mutual edification. And much of the best things in our life are creaturely stuff, right? We, we love to go out and on a hike. We love to hunt. We love to fish. We love to eat, you know. We love to procreate. We'll put that that way. The good things of life, right, are gifts by God, and they are good. And then Genesis 1 rolls over to Genesis 2. And what happens on day 7? God rests. God stops. He doesn't create anymore. And he has this day and time where he stops, and it's that, that time That time, that day where God enjoys creation that he calls holy. Holy meaning having the essence of God set apart for God something and he blesses it. He puts a stamp on it, which means it's supposed to continue every seven days. Anything God blesses is meant to continue on. That's why uh, humans are blessed. We're blessed. It continues on. God creates a day of rest. Have you ever wondered why? You know, sometimes we can read these stories and never think, well, oh, that's weird. I mean, isn't it odd on one way that God creates everything that is? What would you do? If you created everything with is and you just you could speak and everything popped into existence. How would you celebrate that? Isn't it odd that God celebrates with essentially a holy nap? <laughs> There's another story of Babylon cre- of the Babylonian creation narrative where the god Marduk creates, much like in Genesis 1. And what he does at the end is he gathers all the demigods around, and they have a drunken party, and he makes every be- created being bow down and worship. Now that may not be what we say would be good, but it's kind of understandable. Our god stops, and he rests. And what the rabbis who wrote this story, who wrote it down... What they say God did on that day was he enjoyed everything that was. It wasn't the rest of an exhausted God. God wasn't tired. God doesn't get tired. It was to say that to add anything more to this would be superfluous. It is wonderful just like it is. It is good just like it is. And it is good for God to enjoy creation and for creation to enjoy God So what does God want from you? What does God call for us, those of us who deal with our guilt from time to time? God doesn't want you to do more. He doesn't want you to do less. He wants time with you. He wants you to go to camp, teenagers. (laughs) He wants you to go to camp, kids. He wants you to spend time in the Word. He wants time with you for Him to enjoy you and for you to enjoy God. He values time with creation so highly he puts it in the DNA of creation. I mean the tides are every 28 days. Seasons themselves have a time of rest and dormancy before new life springs forth. We see this 28-day rhythm all around us and within us. It's built into creation itself, this four cycle of 28 days. And God doesn't stop there just with creation. We go to the Exodus 20 and the fourth commandment, the giving of the Ten Commandments. We have the first three, these vertical commandments. If you go to Exodus 20, all about our proper worship of God. We have the last six, all about how we deal with one another. Honor your parents, honor your family, don't kill one another. Generally good rules for living, you know, don't envy each other. These don't lust after one another. All of those six and in the middle of that is this fourth commandment it gets more ink it's longer than any of the other commandments and it says what on, on the sabbath day this talking about sabbath don't work Don't go out to the fields. Don't go to the shop today. Don't work. And and anybody that's in your household, your wife and your kids, and if that and that day they would have had servants or slaves potentially, don't make them work. And you've got animals that do the work for you. Don't make them work. And if you've got any strangers or people from other countries, what what would be called resident aliens in that time, people from other countries that are responsible or around you, do something so they don't have to work. Make the whole land stop working for a day. Why? to know God is God and you aren't to worship God to read the word of God to remember you may work hard you may be very intelligent you may be very successful and do many good things in the world but you are not God and you are called to follow and worship and serve and the only way to remember our proper place in this universe is to stop and to rest And to remember God is God. It goes on. I could go on in this, but we don't want to be here too long. Kids got to leave at 1, right, Rose? (laughs) You don't want me preaching at 1230. So Sabbath becomes, it's in through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New. This day of rest becomes a gift for creation. To deal with our busyness to deal with our workaholism, to deal with our guilt, to deal with our sin, to deal with everything of who we are. God gives to creation a day, not a full weekend, not just seven days, one day a year or one time a year. He gives us a weekly day and says, if you can, for 24 hours, and I don't care when this is, it can be Sunday, it can be Saturday, be Tuesday, depending on your schedule, for one day and we'll translate it for us, right? Can you not work? Can you put your phone down? (laughs) Can you try to get your errands done and your housework done and the projects you need done uh, unless they just bring you great joy? Can you get those done on another day of the week and, and take a day? And it may be half a day. It may be a few hours. But get what you can where you stop work and enjoy God. And here's what God wants you to do in that time. He wants you to spend time with Him, right? Prayer, this is is that, Sunday school, worship, although it doesn't have to be on a Saturday, reading scripture, singing, being with other people, and then He wants you to enjoy the good things of life. Sabbath begins with this question, what would you do tomorrow that brings your heart greatest delight? Can you answer that question? What would you do tomorrow that would bring your heart greatest delight. I mean, some of you know immediately. I can see it in your eyes. Some of you are like, I know. Some of you are going, I can't ask that question. No way. You know, some of us think God doesn't want us to have fun, right? We're supposed to be a little dour. It's supposed to be a little more responsible. Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I could do what I want, but who's going to go to finance meeting? Who's going to pay the bills around here? Who's going to run this dang church if everyone's out having the time of their life? We put those questions aside for one day, for one period of time each week, and we worship God. We remember God is God of our life, and we are not. God is God of this church, and you are not. God is God of this church, and Matt is not. And we remember who God has called us to be, and we enjoy time in his presence. You may go to church. You may go kayaking. You may go fishing. You may go hunting. You may go see a baseball game. You may call friends from church and have dinner or friends from your neighborhood and have dinner. You may gather your family around for a game. Most of us, if we answer that question, what would bring our heart greatest delight? There's a danger to it, right? We feel, I can't let myself go that much. You know, few of us are going to have some sort of crazy drunken orgy, right? I mean, it's going to be like, it's going to be things of good. We're going to eat with people we love. We're going to spend time with family. We're going to gather together and do things. Generally, it leads to good things in our world and in our life. And something happens if for a rotation, a week or two or three or four, we dedicate time to God that no work invades on, the rest of life begins to straighten out. When we meet with God, it's amazing how guilt and condemnation and shame is removed from our souls. And we're reminded we're not loved by God for what we do. We're loved by God simply because he created us. It's amazing when you spend time with family and friends and groups in the church start to do this, how the spirit of God might begin to move. We don't have time to be angry about whatever we're angry about, whatever we're divided about, and there's certainly enough in our world, this, this time of our life, time of existence that divides us. We're focused on what God is doing in our midst together. We come to believe through time of prayer and time spent with God, again, weekly and regularly, again and again and again. God wants us to be people of joy, God wants us to be people of hope. And for those who follow God, there just is no room for anger that won't quit. There is no room for guilt that consumes. There is no room in the Spirit of God when the Spirit of God moves for, for divisiveness among our that can't be solved. There is no room for unhappiness that makes everyone around you unhappy. It's miraculous, folks. It's Spirit of God stuff this daily, weekly, regular time, can heal everything that is broken, can bring peace and unity and spirit movement where there is only division, and can move us forward. That's why I'm so happy, just as a pastor, that you gave your pastor time away. I know that's not easy to do. I know not all of you probably agreed with it. That's okay. But when you deal with What pastors have to deal with you've given him a great gift for this period of time to recharge and refresh and I guarantee you know what he does for you a lot on this time he's having a fun time there's no doubt he's praying for you and he's going a little nuts that he can't be here with you (laughs) because even though he wants the time away pastors love their people so well And he's spending time in the Word, and he's reading books to help him grow, and he's envisioning the next season of ministry in and through this place. Now get ready, when he comes back, he's probably going to go a little nuts for a couple weeks, trying to do everything at once. Be patient with him. But you've given him a great gift, a gift that is in here, that I wish everyone can gift, and unfortunately, not every career, not every vocation allows it. So friends, examine your life. If there are feelings that you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, that God surely couldn't use you, that something you've done or something about who you are doesn't belong, those are thoughts of temptation and thoughts of Satan themselves and have no part in the heart of God. The heart of God for you is not that you do more or not that do you do less, but that you be with Him. That is the heart of God for you to come to you. You have grandkids or kids, aunt, you know, nephews and nieces. Remember when they're three and you come in the room and they just run to you and jump into you and wrap themselves around you because you're the most special thing in the world? It's how God wants us to come to him like little children. And if we do, he'll call us to things. He'll give us things to do, but it won't feel like guilt. It won't feel like manipulation. It'll feel like joy. It'll feel like teenagers calling their youth minister on Saturday saying, hey, can we play in worship tomorrow? And it looks like pianists and organists and everybody else saying, yeah, scrap the plan, we'll do that. It feels like holy compunction of something rising up within you that you just can't do. You can't not do, I mean. Because it's the Spirit of God on the loose. So that's my word of hope this morning, y'all. It's a word I think that every church struggles with from time to time, but it's also a word this church has been following for a long time. Growing up here, I never doubted I was loved. I never doubted the love of God for me. I never doubted this church wanted God's best for me and was going to do anything it could to, to make that happen because there were people in this section, in this section, in this section of differing ages praying, seeking the heart of God, putting individual agendas and thought inside, for the most part, for the good of the whole. <laughs> and there was a pastor speaking the word of God strongly and regularly from this pulpit, whoever that happened to be. And we get the great, great privilege of continuing that along. So may we all strive to Sabbath in our lives, to take a little rest and a break and see what the Spirit of God may have for us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you today for this time and space, space, this Sabbath time and space to breathe deep, to put our phones away, to put our to-do lists away, and to consider, what is the Spirit of God doing in my life? What is the Spirit of God calling me to do and to be in this world? May we each respond faithfully and to do no less and no more than the Spirit leads us to do. In your name we pray. Amen.